Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Capital punishment cases are shrouded in controversy. There are many instances of the innocent having their conviction and sentence overturned due to new evidence or findings. There are also the controversial cases of mentally ill individuals being put to death, or like in today's show, a man sentenced to death based solely on his race. Okay, on to the show. Victor Hugo Saldano was born in Cordoba, Argentina in 1972. Victor was born the third of four children and the eldest son. He grew up in Argentina during the U.S.-based terrorism in that country from 1976 to 1983. This period of time was called the Dirty War, and political dissidents were disappeared by members of radical right-wing death squads formed by the Argentine Anti-Communist Alliance or the AAA. They hunted down anyone they believed were socialist or part of left-wing movements. Victor wanted to see the world when he grew up, and at age 18, he did just that. He went first to Brazil and lived there for a while with his father. He then traveled to South and Central America going north while working odd jobs. Once he reached northern Mexico, he crossed the border illegally into the United States. Victor managed to make it to New York City and then returned to Dallas, where he worked in a factory. On November 25, 1995, Victor and a friend, George Chavez, were drinking and smoking cocaine when they abducted a 46-year-old Best Buy salesman, Paul Ray King. At gunpoint, they forced him into his son's blue Ford Mustang, parked in the lot of a sack-and-save grocery store. Paul was buying a Thanksgiving lunch for his Best Buy co-workers and had gone to the store around 10.15 a.m. Forty-five minutes later, several gunshots were heard by a witness in the Lake Levon area. Paul's body was found in the wooded area around Lake Levon. He had been shot numerous times. Around noon, Plano police were notified that a blue Ford Mustang had been abandoned on the Central Expressway. The two men were found on foot about a mile away and were arrested when a weapon was found on one of them. Ordinarily, we would discuss the victim and his family, but unfortunately, there's not much information about Paul Ray King on the internet. His far too brief life has been overshadowed by the controversial death sentence of Victor Saldano. Victor Saldano went to trial in 1996 and was found guilty of capital murder on July 15, 1996. During the sentencing phase, when asked if Victor could be dangerous in the future, the chief psychologist for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice at the time, Dr. Walter Quijano, said that because Victor was Hispanic, it is a factor weighing in favor of future dangerousness. Dr. Quijano said Hispanics have a higher death rate than other people. He said, quote, As a professional scientist, I am expected to educate a jury the best I can. However, according to death penalty statistics cited by Roger Hernandez from 1976, when the death penalty was reinstated, through the week of June 16, 2000, of the 643 people executed, only 42 were identified as Hispanic. 
Likewise, at that time, less than 10% of the people on death row across the country were Hispanic. This statement by Dr. Quijano was prejudicial, but Victor's attorney did not object to this statement. Victor was given the death penalty. From 1996 to 2000, Victor sat on death row attempting to appeal his sentence and maintain contact with the Argentine consulate. On February 25, 2000, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a stay of his pending execution, which was scheduled for April 18, 2000. On June 15, 2000, the United States Supreme Court overturned the death sentence and ordered a new penalty phase. However, Texas did not schedule a new penalty hearing until November 2004. By this time, Victor was experiencing a severe mental decline. In 2001, Texas Attorney General John Cornyn was questioned by the Texas Court of Appeals regarding his authority to acknowledge prosecutorial error and seek new sentencing hearings for seven inmates affected by Dr. Quijano's racial statements at their sentencing hearings. Victor Saldano was one of the seven inmates. On Wednesday, February 28, 2001, several representatives from various South American countries were in court, along with Victor's mother, Lydia Guerrero de Saldano, and John Cornyn to discuss the seven death sentence cases which were based on racial dialogue provided by Dr. Quijano. John Cornyn's declaration that the racial comments were inappropriate led to a turf war between John's office and many of the justices on the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, as well as the district attorneys around the state. This battle was over who has the final say when state criminal cases go to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals finally ruled that the Texas Attorney General had the legal authority to represent the state with the U.S. Supreme Court in Victor's case. However, they stated that his confession of error was improper. They also ruled that whether the prosecution did present testimony for the sole purpose of prejudicing the jury on race, the defendant's failure to object would prevent an appeal on that issue. Additionally, the court stated that they believed the lack of objection was part of a deliberate strategy by the defense because the defense cross-examined the state's expert on whether Argentines are in the same racial group as Hispanics. Also, the defense expert testified being Black or Hispanic does not cause criminal conduct, no matter a seeming correlation. The consulate began contact with Victor on December 26, 1995, when the defense attorney notified them regarding Victor's incarceration. Consular visits occurred in various settings, including the Collin County Jail, the Department of Corrections Ellis Unit in Huntsville, the Polinsky Unit in Livingston, and the Jester Four Psychiatric Hospital in Richmond. During the first few years of Victor's incarceration, while he was at the county jail and then the Ellis Unit, the consulate personnel noticed that he was determined cooperative and wanted to stay in touch with his family, as well as obtain food and other items from the prison commissary. During this time period, Victor sought employment in a work program within the Ellis unit, something that he felt would keep him occupied. The Ellis unit was stricter than the county jail, but it did allow social contact and recreation, access to religious services, the ability to make phone calls, as well as radios in their cells, televisions, magazines, and books. In 1999, the Department of Corrections made the decision to move all death row inmates to the Polunsky unit, previously known as the Terrell Unit. 
Victor was transferred to the Polinsky unit on March 1st, 2000. The consular noted that the new prison was very different from the previous locations. Prisoners at the Polinsky unit were in total isolation. Their cells were 6 feet by 10 feet and had a solid door through which no communication could occur. Recreation in the Polinsky unit consisted of inmates being taken from their cells to an indoor patio area, again in complete isolation. The removal of the inmates from their cells was done at the convenience of prison guards and officials. Another isolating factor was that Victor spoke no English. From 1996 to the end of 2000, Victor was coherent and frequently discussed matters of international politics, history, and other topics. In a letter the deputy consul sent Victor's mother on February 13, 1997, the deputy said, Two weeks ago, I went to visit Victor at Huntsville Prison, where I had a meeting that lasted approximately three hours, during which we talked about a series of subjects, the majority of them obviously connected to his future prospects, as well as to the conditions he is presently in. Victor's had representatives from the consulate at least twice a month from the first initial visit to the period of 2005, according to notes made by various members of the consulate. Their notes indicate that in the beginning of 2001, Victor's mental state began to deteriorate. His conversations would turn from normal to completely irrational. One of the employees believed it was the solitude of the Polensky unit. On one visit, Victor said he was being trained to be a warden, the guards were aliens, and there was a spaceship hovering over the prison. On February 12, 2001, it was noted that Victor had lost 20 kilograms, or approximately 44 pounds, and he said he was being treated harshly by the guards. In March 2001, Victor attempted suicide by cutting his jugular vein. He was transported to the Texas Department of Corrections Jester IV Psychiatric Unit. One of the members of the consulate visited him and later wrote, As a result of intensive efforts, I was able to visit him. Notwithstanding the permission given, I faced a lot of impediments from the warden and the director of the hospital. The prison authorities ended up giving in and I was able to see Victor Saldano. I found him to be seriously deteriorated, also incoherent. He would only repeat, it is impossible to go against them and they will kill you too. Victor also said he would rather commit suicide as opposed to dying at the hands of someone cruel. Apparently, Victor no longer had access to the prison commissary once in Polunsky. Prison officials told the consulate they had detected a possible psychiatric condition, but only provided medical assistance when Victor attempted suicide. Victor stayed at the psychiatric unit until August of that same year. In April 2001, it was noted that Victor no longer wanted to go on living. They also gave a preliminary diagnosis of paranoid psychosis. While visiting him in the psychiatric unit, the consulate representatives noticed that Victor's dissociation with reality continued to grow. He refused to take care of himself and barely ate. Over the next few years, Victor's erratic behavior grew. Visits with the consulate were often interrupted by Victor's behavior. On one occasion, Victor announced casually he was going to urinate and defecate in a brown paper bag that contained food. On another occasion, he started to masturbate while talking to the consulate. In a period from 2001 to 2009, Victor was taken to the psychiatric unit nine times. 
On about four occasions, he was only in the unit for a few days to a few weeks. On the other trips to the psychiatric unit, he was in there for several months. In October and November 2004, Victor was granted a new trial for the penalty phase. During this trial, Victor had several occurrences of apparent behavior, such as refusing to remove his prison coveralls, staring at the ceiling and smiling, and moving his lips yet making no sound. Another time, he stood up for no reason and had to be restrained by law enforcement in the courtroom. On another day, he masturbated in his coveralls in front of the juries. He never asked for an interpreter, and at the end of the trial, he asked if there would be a verdict, and the interpreter had to explain he had been sentenced to death again. In July 2004, he wrote a letter to friends in Cordoba, and after coherently stating he was waiting for a new trial, he then said, Chloroformal potassium chloride, sulfuric acid, la chapa no paga en Texas, medicine en Texas, nacido en Zacatecas, yo saco los atos de la basura, lo que dicen Yonkers, y ve Saint Tomás, el hijo de Diablo, etc. The incoherent rambling continued for several pages of the letter. I'm going to pause the case right here so you can hear a word from our sponsors. Okay, I'm back to talk to you again about public goods. This episode, as you know, is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for affordable, sustainable, healthy household products, from home and personal care to premium pantry staples, all in one place. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products like sulfate-free shampoo, hand sanitizer, and tree-free paper products. So far, I've been able to try a lot of products in my wonderful goodie box, but I have to talk to you about the shampoo and conditioner that I received. It is so luxurious in my hair, and I know this sounds strange, but it just feels clean. So I highly recommend that if you're looking for a one-stop shop to get everything you need, you definitely should try Public Goods. So if you're like me, knowing what's in your products and where they come from is important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on personal health and the world at large. And the wonderful thing about Public Goods, which makes me feel good about using their products and getting more of their products, is that they plant one tree for every order placed and have planted over 100,000 trees since September 2019. Now, because I love you guys, we worked out an exclusive deal just for the True Crime Fan Club podcast listeners you'll receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right, they are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again, just like me, that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash TCFC or use code TCFC at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash TCFC to receive $15 off your first order. And be sure to tag True Crime Fan Club and Public Goods on Twitter and Instagram to show me what you got. Before Victor's new trial for sentencing, the Argentine government urged Victor's defense team to bring his mental condition to the attention of the court even if it did not meet the requirements for incompetency. Defense counsel and their Argentinian supporters worried that Victor's mental suffering was so great 
he would not be judged fairly by a jury on his apparent dangerousness. At the second trial, the judge stated Victor was never disruptive or unfriendly in court. Victor's legal team argued that under the Eighth Amendment, it was unconstitutionally vague to subject him to a new sentencing trial. Even if he was determined to be legally competent, his severe mental decline from the isolation of death row made him more of a liability while assisting with his own defense. The lawyers argued that this would make an unbiased sentence impossible, and he would likely get sentenced to death again. They also argued that since his misconduct on death row was a direct result of the isolation of death row, that this should not be brought up during the trial. On November 5, 2004, the psychiatrist from the psychiatric unit where Victor had been housed after his suicide attempt was to testify as to the mental state of Victor. However, before he could, the state demanded they be given the opportunity to examine Victor before the psychiatrist could testify. Victor declined to allow the state to examine him with their own expert witness pre-trial, so his expert witness was not allowed to testify either. The defense was concerned that if the state had an expert witness during the pre-trial, the witness would also be used during the trial, thereby presenting Victor as a dangerous person. Therefore, the jury was never allowed to hear from his psychiatric expert who was going to testify about Victor's mental decline since his first trial. The Argentine government was also stunned that the trial judge remarked about how Victor was not disruptive, yet had to be restrained for masturbating in open court. During another appeal, the court's 2007 opinion was focused on the politics of the 2004 sentencing trial. It began, In 1996, appellant was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. The conviction was upheld, but the death sentence was overturned in federal habeas proceedings based on a procedurally defaulted claim of prosecutorial misconduct at Appellant's 1996 trial. There were at least five mentions of the procedurally defaulted claim of prosecutorial misconduct in this 2007 opinion, and the state changed three quotes from 2004 to read that the defense attorneys had said, procedurally defaulted claim. The Argentine government said a majority of the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals in 2007 could not put its earlier political embarrassment behind it, and as a result, the racial bias of 1996 truly remained unremedied. Not only is there a serious concern when severe isolation leaves an individual diminished in his ability to defend himself, but there is a separate concern when an appellate court, stung by earlier accusations of racism, openly shows that it cannot evaluate a defendant's legal questions on a clean slate. Victor's mental illness was well documented by the consulate and by the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. For approximately four months in 2001, Victor received Haldol, an antipsychotic medicine. He was also given Zoloft, an antidepressant, before being switched to Selenor. By November 2001, he was off all medications, and no other medications were given until August 2004 through late 2004, when he was prescribed trazodone for insomnia. In 2006, he began receiving regularly large doses of Haldol orally, twice daily and through injections every four weeks. He also received Congentin for side effects of the Haldol injections, Celexa for depression, and also received lithium to stabilize his moods. Victor's disciplinary record improved once he was on regular medications. In yet another appeal in 2019, the defense counsel argued that Buck v. Davis, 
another Texas case was applicable. In this case, Dwayne Buck was sentenced to death when the same expert witness, Dr. Quijano, said Dwayne was more likely to recommit violent offenses based on his race. When Dwayne appealed, he was granted two life sentences and not given the death penalty again. He also had to plead guilty to two other murder charges in exchange for the prosecutor not pursuing the death penalty again. In Duane's case, Chief Justice John Robert wrote, The law punishes people for what they do, not for who they are. In 2013, Victor's mother Lydia wrote to Pope Francis about her son. Pope Francis from Argentina responded to Lydia. That winter, Lydia traveled to Rome where she waited in an outside audience in the rain. She was concerned and unsure if she would be able to speak with the Pope. The rain suddenly stopped and the Pope appeared. Lydia spoke with him and identified herself as the mother of the Argentinian on death row in Texas. The Pope took her hand and said, I've prayed so much for your son. The Pope and Lydia have met at least twice. The Texas Catholic's Bishops' Conference also began lobbying for a lesser sentence for Victor. Pope Francis had revised Catholic teaching to state that capital punishment is always inadmissible and an affront to the dignity of the person. However, this revision did meet resistance from five cardinals who believe that there are some circumstances when capital punishment is admissible. The Texas bishops who support Victor argued that his punishment violated the sanctity of life, but also because racial bias is evil. Despite the efforts of the Argentinian government, the Pope, and the Texas bishops, Victor Saldano remains on death row in Texas. No one argues his guilt for the murder, but believes his sentencing was constitutionally improper. Victor Saldano's death sentence, after such racially biased statements as those made by Dr. Quijano, is horrific enough. The severe isolation Victor suffers at the Polunsky unit seems to fall under the definition of cruel and unusual punishment as outlined in the Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFC Pod, Facebook.com slash TCFC Podcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. This episode was researched and written by Susie St. John, content editing by Brittany Martinez. Produced by the best in the business, Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkofDreams.com.